Hello. Thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon Podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardawike Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Hardawike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardawike Ministries, please visit Hardawike.com. We continue to preach through uh, the opening chapters of Luke, and I want to give you just a little bit of background on this because I'm not going to do all of it. Um, We're looking at the birth of John the Baptist and the moment that that means for Elizabeth as she, uh, against all odds, has a baby and they don't know what to name the baby and she takes a stand and suddenly the dad who's been speechless ever since he found out he was going to be a dad at that age, uh, he confirms and so there's that moment and then the dad, Zechariah, just breaks forth in song and there's two parts of that song. He sings to the Lord, but then he also sings prophetically to his son. I'm just going to focus on the song he sings to the Lord. So I kind of want to give you some context before I read just this portion of our uh, full scripture for today. So that's uh, where we'll be going, that first portion of Zechariah's song, it's called. I'm going to ask, as is the habit here at Fusion, if you would stand with me as you're able, just out of reverence and appreciation And I will read the scripture this morning, beginning at Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. Hear the word of God. Now John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people, and he has redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's be seated and I'll pray. Father, we thank you that a Greek physician centuries ago by the name of Luke, trained in the ways of medicine, would uh, sit down to write an orderly account. And he says he uh, spoke with eyewitnesses to confirm what happened. He probably spoke either with Mary or Mary's friends or family that she'd already passed away by the time of his work. And so he got it from, from Mary to a friend to him and he wrote it down. And then in an amazing way, the story of how those texts have been preserved through persecution and fire and famine, so that now we can unroll the scroll, as it were, and begin to translate and read and study and uh, dig in. I thank you for your written word. And Holy Spirit, just as you've uh, superintended that across centuries from beginning, now bring it to an end, as it were, a a safe landing in our hearts and minds. Illumine us to receive the fullness of what you have for us this day. Thank you for your kindness. Guard your people from my brokenness. But in all good things, make Jesus known. Draw us to him, we pray, in his mighty name. Amen and amen. Um, There's a a way, a a historical, traditional way of reading the scripture called Lectio Divina. Anybody familiar with that? That's how I've been reading through these passages. You just kind of meditate through. I tell folks it's like making a movie and putting myself kind of in there. So 
As I did that through this passage this week, I was drawn back in my own memory and experience to a day in my own life. It was the birth of our second child. At at that time, I was leading a church on the Gulf Coast of Louisiana among the Cajun people. About a third of my congregation spoke French as a first or second language. Michel, that's good down there, yeah? Like nobody business. But one of the great things about having babies is those folks just love babies. When you go to the hospital, they have these obstetrical nurses, is what we call them here. Down there, they just called them the nurse who had the baby, yeah? She had probably 15, 20-year-old baby, and who knows how many grandchildren. So in that context, we were, and then one day, I remember it distinctly, it was a Saturday before um, Palm Sunday. I remember it so clearly because the due date wasn't for another two weeks. And we didn't have a thing packed or planned. But Mary Lynn woke me up. I, I think I'm in labor. I'm feeling contractions. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's, I think I'm in labor. Okay, okay. We got, I asked that she take a shot. No, I'm not. I, we're in labor. We got to get moving. So eventually it dawned on me, her sister had had three babies at home. I better move quickly. <laughs> So I gathered up our first daughter, and I got some things, and it occurred to me, it was a work day at the church, so I was just going to take Nicole there and drop her off with friends and get to the hospital. And when I got back to drop Nicole off, and Mary Lynn was in the car, she was kind of wide-eyed, and yeah, I I think this is it. So I kind of judiciously headed off, and fortunately the bridge was down at Bayou Delarge, so I could cross the way and go to Terrebonne General, and one of them Cajun nurse mamas kind of come out and help Mary Lynn get to the um, admitting room, and a friend of ours, Dr. Bruce Guidry, I'd worked with Dr. Guidry in founding an organization called the Eagle House. It was a home. See, there's a problem in Cajun culture. Every year, about four or five months after Mardi Gras, there's a lot of unmarried, pregnant, young women and so as the church, we, Dr. Guidry and our church and some others got together and bought a house and began to provide care and support for these women in this moment. So I knew Dr. Guidry, and he went into the admitting and came out kind of wide-eyed and said, I've got to go deliver this other baby, need a cesarean section, but make sure she goes straight to delivery, Bill. And he runs off. I'm trying to take care of the insurance. I'm getting this stuff going. Maryland's being wheeled out to the delivery room. And by the time I get there, they're saying, push, push. And I coached her, but I like coach from the neck up. <laughs> All right. And so I'm there and I'm helping her coach. And then I, I hear the first sound. And one of those nurses says, oh, Michelle, you got just such a beautiful little daughter. Look at that. And there she is. Mary Lynn relaxes, and suddenly, in the midst of all that, they, they get Mary Lynn up to the hospital room. Dr. Guidry got there. He'd finished the cesarean section, and the woman that he'd done the section on was there in the next bed, you know, on the other side of that shower curtain they use. And they brought Rachel in, and she nursed, and then Mary Lynn relaxed, and Rachel relaxed, and the Cajun nurse, she came and said, oh, that's a nice baby. I go, you, you sleep there, mama. And she took Rachel off, and Mary Lynn started to doze. And I remember just thinking, wow, Rachel's okay. 
Hey, Lynn's okay. The lady across the shower curtain's okay. God is just, I've been a, a part of one of the most amazing moments he could be as a dad. Wow. And I think that's exactly how Zechariah felt in this moment. So when I was doing this reading and meditating through the scripture, you see, nine months earlier, he'd been kind of doing his work in the temple and this like angel shows up. Not just any angel, this was Gabriel who'd spoken to Daniel about five centuries earlier. Whoa. And he's speaking to Zechariah and says, I know you're old, I know you can't have children, but guess what? You're gonna be a daddy. He's thunderstruck. And it, the last word he says, he comes out, can't say a thing. Goes home. I won't go into detail, but his wife gets pregnant. And suddenly, those who could not conceive have a child. Six months into this, Elizabeth is showing. It's a distant cousin, this, this Mary, comes up and says, I'm virgin and pregnant. Well, come on in. We'll take care of you. Mary knew to go find one of the religious people in her life. It was a temple guy who had spoken with God. That when she was pregnant, she was going to go be with them. They would take care of her. So Mary shows up, and now the baby is delivered. And, and just like Zechariah, you know, they, they had the, the mess about what are we going to name him? And then he starts to speak, and oh, then Elizabeth has survived. She would have been what we call a high-risk pregnancy, but it's all good. Nine months of time, Elizabeth now delivers it's all good. Zechariah catches his breath. He starts singing about the Lord. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Who can but prophesy? He'll sing about my boy and what John would be and what would come after that. But now he's just in that moment. In that moment. It's stunning to me how Zechariah states very clearly in these opening lines of his song, the gospel. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because, and there's two things, two verbs here, he comes to his people and he redeems them. He showed up, he saved them. I like the King James word translation here. The ESV does it as well, the New Living Translation. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, he visited his people. This is the gospel. He visits. He redeems. Now it goes on, and there's four more verbs. This is how we dig into the scripture. Four more verbs. Why did he show up? Why did he visit? Why did he redeem? Well, first of all, to show mercy. The gospel doesn't come to bring more shame for you or more demands. The gospel comes out of the mercy of God, and it will shape you and work in you to be a person of mercy because you will receive it and then you'll have it to give, to show mercy, to remember his holy covenant. Friends, there's good news. God has been at work the whole time. Zechariah in that moment can think back, whoa, this all started with an angel and I couldn't speak and Mary shows up but Elizabeth is okay, and I got a baby son. God's been good to his word. And whether it's a minute or nine months or nine centuries, when God speaks it, 
you can rest in it. You can cling to it. Third thing he does, he came and he visited and redeemed so he could show, um, he could rescue from the hand of our enemies. He can show mercy, remember his holy covenant, rescue from the hand of our enemies. One of my favorite Bible texts these days is Genesis 50, 20. It's Joseph looking at his brothers and he's saying, though you meant it for evil, God worked it for good that many might be saved. Can you imagine how freeing it is to know that even if somebody is working evil against you, that our God can work it for my blessing and for the benefit of others. That even when others intend evil, we, we, we shouldn't put up with evil. We should resist it at every step. But I know that even when evil is working against me, that God can turn it around. I will resist evil every time I see it. I will no longer fear it by the grace of God. Finally, all of that was so that to enable us to serve him and to join him in mission. We can serve him without fear. No matter what happens, we can serve him in holiness and righteousness. Friends, that's the good news. I want to tell you something. Just, like, be a jerk about it, Bill. Jesus was not born so that you and I could be happy and get what we want. Now, I've been a Christian for a number of years. There's times that I've been happy. There's times I've been sad. God's kingdom is just bigger than that. He takes my joy and he uses it to his glory. He takes my sadness and uses it to his glory. Would Elizabeth and Zechariah see what would become of their son's life? Maybe not. But whatever God has, it's going to be good. This birth thing is about something bigger than you being happy. Be happy, but know that it's about something bigger. I told Celebration this morning that God's kingdom is bigger than any single nation, any political candidate you'll ever vote for or want to vote against, or any agenda that may present itself. Here's something I'm telling folks. I'm going to have the same king on November 25th of 2024 that I do right now. Not sure who the president will be. That's up to the nation. I'll be a part of that. Fine. But my king today is my king then. My future's secure. I'm digging that. So here it is. A God who shows up, he visits his people. Now, there's a great Hebrew history to this word, and I'll just touch it quickly. Um, 300 uses, it's very varied and nuanced, but there's a thread that runs through the Hebrew word that we translate visit or show up. You see it used of Sarah in Genesis 21.1. You remember Sarah couldn't have a baby. God comes to her. She has a baby of promise at the birth of Isaac. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, it says in the NIV. The Lord visited Sarah, it says in the King James, in the ESV. It's that word visited, he showed up. Um, later on in Genesis, Joseph is about to die and he tells his brothers that God will visit them and so never leave his body in Egypt. God has visited us. 400 years later in Exodus, the Lord is giving Moses words to say to the elders of Israel, and they are this, I have watched over you, surely visited you in the King James, and again the ESV. I have visited you and have seen what was done to you in Egypt. Friends, 
God shows up. That's our hope. A little later on, it's Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Again, a woman who cannot conceive has an encounter with God and gives birth. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah, it says in the NIV, visited Hannah. It's that same word he followed through. God shows up and nothing is the same. In the New Testament, the word that connects through here, and again, I won't do all the, the background, but it's used 10 times. Listen to one place it's used in the mouth of Jesus, Matthew 25, 36. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. You looked after me. I was in a tough way and you showed up. Luke 7, 16 they saw the works of Jesus. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, and God has come to help, i.e., God has visited his people. Hebrews quotes the Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, and says, There's a place where it's written, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a human that you care, that you visit them? So there's nuance, but it's about this God who keeps showing up. Not just sending word from the distant space, but showing up. I love the translation of John chapter 1, verse 14 in the message. <clears throat> the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. It was really him. But he also joined in the life that we live. He offered his grace, his resources, his purpose, and he invited us to join in his mission. Years ago, I was part of an urban ministry, and as part of our training, one day they gave us they gave the guys $3 and said, come back in 36 hours. See what it's like to live on the street. Well, part of what I did that night was <clears throat> check in to the um, Salvation Army men's shelter down on Magazine Street in New Orleans. And I remember that night. I remember all of that night. <laughs> And I'm thankful for folks who do that ministry. That's a hard ministry, and I have no complaints, no stones to throw. But you want to know something? When I send somebody to the mission for street people, for homeless folks, I send them differently because I've spent the night, at least in the Sally down on Magazine. You see, once you've moved into the neighborhood, you, you kind of you kind of encounter these things a little different. It makes a difference in who we are and what we do. It's called empathy. Empathy. I love this uh, definition from Wikipedia. You can describe it as the ability to take on another's perspective, to understand, to feel, and possibly even share and respond to their experience. The ability to take on another's perspective. The word became flesh. That's what Jesus is doing. Our God has visited us. He's been in the neighborhood. He's seen the, how shall I say, bologna sandwich that we've got to live with. 
He knows what's going on. It's the ability to, to take another's perspective, to understand, to feel, and possibly share and respond with their experience. Friends, Jesus knows our fears. He knows our pride. He knows our suffering. He sees our self-righteousness. He's been there. He'll pay the ransom for the slavery that holds us. We can rest secure in him. He's moved into the neighborhood, and when he came into the neighborhood, he came with the gospel of God's grace. He came to redeem us. Now, I want to tell you something. He moved into the neighborhood, and we can go visit as well. He redeemed. We can only go with the message of redemption. I can't redeem anybody. I've been redeemed, and I can tell you what God did with that, and I can visit. But we've got to visit with the message, the message of God's good news. Start to let the Spirit speak to your heart. Who do you want to visit? Who will you visit? You know, there's, it's one thing when you visit folks who can't pay you back anyway. It's easy to visit Grandma because she's got the presents and the cookies. But what would it be to move into the neighborhood where, well, it's a little dangerous? We moved into a neighborhood in New Orleans years ago, Holly Grove. Lil Wayne grew up there and sings about it. To Holly Grove to be Hollywood. You move into the neighborhood, you begin to empathize and feel that heartache. You, you see it in a different way, and you see the power of the gospel to make a difference. Who are you going to visit? What will you bring? Now, there was a guy on planet Earth centuries ago who grew up in the house with Jesus. They probably shared a room. They would have been like teenagers together. His name was James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote a book. And in James chapter 1, 27, it's in the New Testament, that half-brother of Jesus says, now, the religious practice that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. It is to look after, it says in the New International Version, but the King James Version, it says, is to visit. It's, to, it's the same word that Zechariah uses. It's the same word Jesus used about visiting uh, those who are sick. The half-brother Jesus says, the religious expression that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Who are you going to visit? What are you going to bring to them? I have a friend, Robbie. He and his family uh, run kind of a, a, a child development center. And it's got a particular focus, this Child Development Center. They work with traumatized refugees and, and the children of traumatized refugees. They're in the neighborhood in Beirut, Lebanon right now. And Robbie and his folks, are they're feeding these kids, and many of them are just there with their mom, but that's another story. They're feeding them. They're giving them medical care, lots of playtime and talking about it, what they've seen. They're reading, giving them educational skills. But I tell you what else Robbie and his folks are doing there in Beirut. 
right now is that they're telling those kids and those families, they're telling them that there is a God who once moved into a neighborhood like theirs. He wasn't scared to join them. He wasn't so heartless. He would just send somebody down the mountain with rules to obey. He wasn't so different and in, indifferent and uncaring that he just, I can't talk to you, I'll just have the prophet do it. No. He took on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. He had to deal with the same stuff that each of us has to. He showed up. He had brothers. <laughs> he worked a job. And then he did what only he could do. He made it possible for people to be reconciled first with God and then with other people. It's a dangerous world when you just live in the cycle of revenge. God showed up and said, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to put an end to revenge, and I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, but they're my enemy. You know, I have a friend once who told me, you know, you should love your enemies. What was that guy's name? Um, oh, yeah. That's Jesus, because he brings reconciliation, and reconciliation is costly. He paid the cost. He moves into the neighborhood. He gives us a visit. And he brings the gospel. The God who visits and the God who redeems is Jesus. He's called us to join him and not to waste our lives entertaining ourselves to death. Oh, if I could only produce more, I could then consume more. Produce more, consume more. Produce more, consume more. I want to tell you there's more to life. There is just more to life. And guess what? We have a visitor here this morning. Oh, yes, his name is Jesus. Jesus is here because he promised he would be, and he's here in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you say something like that, and suddenly folks get nervous. Oh, gosh, do I need to erase my browser history on my stupid phone? What could be going on? No, he's here, but he's not here to bring shame or condemnation. He's here to pay the price that sets you and me free. That's why I'm so excited about it. He's come to set us free. He's here. That's the hope of the gospel. We've been visited by a God who can set us free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your marvelous kindness that in the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our lives, that you have paid a visit, and though at first we were nervous and wondering if you actually knew, suddenly we discovered that you still loved us, even though you did know. And so we thank you that as we come to this table where you promised to meet us, that we can look at your face and discover the God of the universe actually likes us. He loves us, not because of what we do, but in spite of what we do, so that he can give us a new life, different than we could ever ask or imagine, more amazing and adventurous, more challenging, more honest. But in all these things, you meet us. Father, fill us with great hope. Thank you for this time and for this table. Thank you that long ago and far away, you visited planet Earth. And you visited with a purpose to redeem us. 
These things we pray and receive in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Hardawake Ministries, please visit us at hardawake.com.